Cairo, Seattle. If you're too cool for Cheesecake Factory, you are not for me. <laughs> it's my new slogan. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Bethany Cosentino, singer, songwriter, and guitarist in the band Best Coast. Bethany says she usually eats pretty healthfully. She was a vegan, after all, for many years. But she loves chain restaurants. She says she finds them comforting and calming. But she won't be hitting up a Domino's or a Pizza Hut anytime soon. I don't really like pizza. What does that mean? Controversial. Bethany's last meal is the Cheesecake Factory. I feel like I'm supposed to come in with some like, (laughs) I have only been to the Cheesecake Factory twice. It has been maybe... I don't know, seven or eight years since I've been. And I've always lumped them in with all the other suburban chain restaurants whose slogans and commercials are just permanently cemented into my brain. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back. And then what else? What else? It's like you're eating good in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Uh, We got the old... Think outside the bun. When you hear your family. No one spoils me like mom does, but Olive Garden comes close. But the Cheesecake Factory's chief culinary officer and executive vice president, Donald Moore, says every dish on their 21-page menu has a story and is loved by the chefs that created them. We make everything from scratch. We have over 700 recipes that we make in our kitchens. Lots more Donald coming up. But first, my interview with Best Coast, Bethany Cosentino. Hello? Hello. Can you hear you? I can. Okay. And you can control your volume under there. There's a little blue light. I had Bethany in the studio pre-quarantine when she was touring Best Coast's new album, Always Tomorrow. So you were a child actress, and I understand that your first gig was a Little Caesars commercial. Yeah. I wouldn't really call me a child actress. I did, like, a handful of commercials. So funny, because I feel like part of my, like, Wikipedia is usually like she was a child star and it's like I I don't know if you could call four commercials being a star but (laughs) I did do commercials as a kid and yes Little Caesars Pizza was like my big breakthrough one so that's how you know how much research someone did on you when they're like you were a child actor I love it they only looked on Wikipedia (laughs) oh no 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 it comes up a lot it does and so do you remember anything about that shoot and did you get to eat pizza in the commercial No, we didn't eat any pizza in the commercial. I do remember a lot about it. There was a poodle in the commercial, and he had a dog trainer, like, with him, who basically would blow this whistle, and then it would go up on its hind legs, because the whole commercial were doing the conga line. So it was like, they had to get the poodle to, like, go up on its hind legs and, like, hold its paws on the person who like played the dad or something from little caesars two pizzas two crazy breads plus two servings of coke classic all for 7.98 it's enough food to make a family meal into a party party from what i remember like i'm pretty sure my family got like a year's worth of little caesars like we got a lot of vouchers yeah that's how you were paid entirely in free pizza (laughs) um i'm gonna be totally honest with you i don't know if i've ever 
eaten Little Caesars pizza, like probably as a kid, but in my adult life, I don't think I've ever had it. Yeah, it's not the most glamorous of pizza, but you also shared with me beforehand that you don't you don't even like pizza. I don't really like pizza. What does that mean? Controversial. Well, okay, so I'm gluten intolerant. I'm not celiac. I'm not like super allergic to it, but I do have a sensitivity to it. So I try to really veer from gluten. I will say that there have been a lot of really good cauliflower crust pizzas and gluten-free pizzas that have sort of been introduced to the world. I don't have that thing that like most people have where they just like live for pizza. They love pizza. It's like, oh, I'm going to go get a slice of pizza. Like I just have never in my life been like, you know what I really want right now? It's pizza. I bet it was that poodle in the Congo maybe. line that took I mean, you off of pizza. Maybe it's the fact that I had to do this commercial for it. But you are a cat person, which is the other half of the internet. There's half pizza and half cats. And I've been reading about your cat because I'm also a cat lover too. Uh. So share your cat's name and where the name came from and kind of how your cat has become a little star. He has his own Twitter page. Yeah, he's just a little star. His name is Snacks. He's 12 years old. He has um, feline epilepsy. Oh, no. So he gets seizures from time to time. But Little I'm, seizures? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm proud to announce that he hasn't had a seizure in almost three years because he takes medication. I have him on, like, really fancy food. I take really good care of him. But he's, like, my little angel. I love yeah. him. And his name, it's funny. People ask me where his name came from, and I can't really remember. I think... I was really obsessed with Garfield at the time, so I wanted kind of like a big fat tabby cat that looked like Garfield. An orange cat. Garfield loves lasagna, and I think it was just kind of like, oh, okay, Snacks is a fun name, and his name is like very fitting for him because he's obsessed with food. Are there human foods that he really likes too? I try not to feed him a lot of human food because he's old and he's got like special needs and he has kidney issues, and I try to really keep him on like his strict diet, but he loves popcorn. I mean, he literally like he'll eat anything. We did a music video uh, for a song off our new album called For the First Time, and a bunch of people brought Jersey Mike's. And he literally stole someone's Jersey Mike's like off the table. All of a sudden he came from the kitchen into the living room, like dragging a like piece of sub bread. And I was just like, dude, what are you doing? That's the thing is I don't try to feed mine people food either, but you learn the hard way that they like certain things. And it's so funny. My cat really likes garbanzo beans, which Mm. I think is very odd. One time she broke into a bag of lentils, which makes me think she has that thing that like, pregnant women get where they want to oh. eat concrete. Oh, pika? <laughs> pika, yeah. yeah. I think she might have pika. Um, <laughs> and she probably would like a Jersey Mike sub as well. Just give it to her. Let her see. Let her see for herself. <laughs> Just like one of those comically large six-foot-long yeah. Mike's, sandwiches. Mike's way, though. You got to do it Mike's way. Is that the slogan there? So Mike's never way been. is like the... Oh, you've never been? No. Honestly, Jersey Mike's is really good. Okay. It is. It's really good. And they have gluten-free bread, which I love. So Mike's way is their thing where basically... They have something called the juice, which is essentially just red wine vinegar, olive oil, like an oregano sort of like spice blend. It's Mm, it's really good. We love Super juicy. We love Jersey Mike's in this band. Jersey Mike's is just the tip of Bethany's chain restaurant iceberg. For me, I just feel like chain restaurants are very calming. And like, it's so funny because I feel like most people would be like, calm? You like a Cheesecake Factory doesn't elicit the idea of like zen for no, most people. No. But for me, it's just like 
something about the familiarity of a chain restaurant and just it being exactly the same everywhere you go. Yeah. Something about it is just very centering to me. Comforting. Especially as a person who like tours for a living. When we're on tour and we see like a TGI Fridays or a Red Robin or like one of those places, it's like, no, the food's not that good. But there's something about just like going in there and knowing that it's like it's going to look exactly the way that it looks at home. It's going to look exactly the way it did when you were in like Boise, Idaho four days before. Full comfort thing. And I also grew up kind of like in the suburbs. And so it's just to me like a very suburban kind of cozy vibe. You crave that carpet that's so busy you could barf on it and no one would even see it. Yep. I yeah, need it. It's good carpet. I need, I need a chain in my life like at least once a week. What is your favorite chain restaurant? Probably Cheesecake Factory. It, it's just like. They have everything. They have everything. Yeah. And they have my order so down. I like know exactly what I want. And like bottomless iced tea. They have the passion fruit. Like I mentioned in the intro, Bethany's last meal is from the Cheesecake Factory. But which of the 250 menu items could it be? Is it the firecracker salmon? What about the dynamite shrimp? The bang bang chicken and shrimp? The buffalo blast? Or maybe it's not explosive at all. Maybe it is one of the most popular menu items. Four or five things that are most popular, obviously the avocado egg rolls, the fettuccine alfredo, the Thai lettuce wraps, the chicken Madeira, the Cajun jambalaya pasta. There is only one way to find out. We'll be right back. I couldn't believe there were so many exploding items on the menu. It's madness. <laughs> heard about the quarantine cooking club it's my club i'm the president i'm the vice president i'm the treasurer i'm the what's the other thing well there's a secretary usually. secretary i'm the secretary <laughs> you can be the secretary because you just reminded me of that thank you uh, everybody listening you can be in the club and you could even try to be the vice president even though you probably won't get elected because i'm the only one who votes okay what am i doing i'm going to tell you about the quarantine cooking club so this is how it works Follow along on Instagram, Your Last Meal Podcast. Every weekend, we are all cooking a last meal of a past guest. Just take a picture of your dish, tag me on Instagram, and then I'll repost it. So week one, we all made spaghetti, which was Isaac Mizrahi's last meal. A couple weeks ago, we all made breakfast, which happened to be the last meal of about five past guests. Last weekend, we made chicken wings. For more details, go over to Instagram, Your Last Meal Podcast. All right, it's the moment of truth. What does Bethany want for her last meal? Macaroni and cheese with a small side Caesar salad. And where would it come from? Cheesecake. I'm leading you here. I'm leading you here. (laughs) (laughs) So what makes their mac and cheese so good? Okay, so their mac and cheese comes in like one of those little... First of all, you have to get the side mac and cheese because if you order like their main entree mac and cheese, it's this massive thing. It has like bacon in it and all these crazy like truffles and, you know, I just want a basic everyday mac and cheese. So when you order the side of mac and cheese, it comes in a little tiny cast iron. They put little breadcrumbs on it. I order it gluten-free. They use elbow macaroni. There's little like rivets in the in the elbow macaroni. So the cheese like really gets in there. It's important. They bake it. It is so cheesy. It must be like 2,000 calories. Like it's got to be nuts, but it is so good. And then the side Caesar salad, when you order it, you have to specify, I will take the littlest 
side Caesar salad because otherwise they'll bring you the like the bathtub. other side Caesar salad, which is as big as this table, you know. So they have multiple sizes of sides. Here's the thing that people don't know about Cheesecake Factory. If you order off the sides, you're literally getting just as much food as the main entree and you're mm. spending half the price. Wow. I'm here A to give you the hacks. Yes. Yeah. This yeah. is like animal style it in and out. Yeah, exactly. Cheesecake Factory exactly. edition. And then their Caesar salad is just so like garlicky and it's very pungent of like anchovy and it's like kind of spicy. I'm so surprised it's by this. It's so good. Like I'm not kidding. Like their Caesar Cheesecake Factory Caesar salad is really, really good. Do you feel like there is just unnecessary snobbery around food and restaurants? Because, you know, I'm sure that you have like a high-low thing going on that you don't only eat fast food, no. but like people who love food love to slam places like yeah. that. I think for me, it's like chain restaurants, they, they, again, they remind me a lot of my childhood. They remind me of sort of like this innocence of like, I'm an only child. So it was like for birthdays and stuff, it'd be like, we're going to the Cheesecake Factory, which to me then seemed like we were going to like the fanciest restaurant yes. in the world. There's a lot of snobbery that goes behind chain restaurants, fast food places. But honestly, I almost feel like there's like a classist thing behind it because it's kind of this idea that it's like, well, why would you eat there? And it's like, honestly, some people and some families can only afford to go eat at chain restaurants where they live, you know, or fast food restaurants. And I think that for me, especially one of the really cool things that I'm starting to see happen in the like fast food industry is this addition of like a lot of like vegetarian, like vegan options and burgers. We were just in... um, Vancouver last night and the A&W up there has Beyond Burger little um, sliders called the Little Buddy and they're mm-hmm. little Beyond patties. Nice. So I, I feel like it's cool that chain restaurants and um, fast food places are sort of starting to like operate on this level now where they're like, we're going to try to be healthier, even though it's like, you know, it's still I think, not I think the they have to because people are just asking for it. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right about the classism. I felt bad a few years ago. My friend and I went to Red Lobster. Ironically, and we're like, oh, this is going to be so funny. Yeah. And then we sat down and we looked around. And we were like, oh, everyone here is having their evening. Like, yeah. when people are on a date, they're with their family, they're having a birthday. Yeah. And we we're just total jerks who are making fun of it. <laughs> and the butter is always melted. What is there to complain Those about? biscuits are bomb. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, it is very much kind of like a bougie attitude of, like, what do you mean you eat at the Cheesecake Factory? It's like, who cares, dude? It makes me feel good. My closest friends, I only gravitate towards people that also like that kind of stuff. If you're too cool for Cheesecake Factory, you are not for me. (laughs) It's my new slogan. For her last meal, Bethany wants macaroni and cheese and a Caesar salad from the sides menu at the Cheesecake Factory. She says she orders the same thing every time she goes. And honestly, I'm not sure if it's because she actually loves these dishes or because she doesn't have time to crack open the behemoth 21-page menu and peruse the 250 menu items inside. The first Cheesecake Factory was opened in 1978 in Beverly Hills by David Overton, who is still the CEO today. So David's mom started selling her famous cheesecakes out of her Detroit basement way back in the 1940s. When she moved out to California in the 70s to be closer to her son, she started a wholesale business that she named the Cheesecake Factory. So about six years later, David said, you know what? Your cheesecakes are so good. We need our own restaurant. So he opened one to showcase his mom's desserts. But he couldn't think of a name. So he just stuck with the Cheesecake Factory. 
David wanted the cheesecakes to be the highlight of the menu. And he had never worked at a restaurant before. He had never cooked professionally. So he tried to keep the menu simple, just soups and salads and sandwiches. But it turned out that he was a great cook. When David would go out to eat at other restaurants, he would kind of study the food and come home and try and turn intricate, expensive dishes into more casual versions with lower price points. And then when he would perfect this dish, he would put it on the menu. Mexican food, Italian food, Asian food, it didn't matter. He just put it on the menu, eventually capping it at 250 items. Every six months, they update the menu. Maybe they'll take 10 things off and put 10 new things back on. But that 250 number always stays the same. 42 years later, David owns 200 cheesecake factories, but he still signs off on every single dish. That's 100% accurate. Uh, you know, we don't use focus groups. We use our own research, which is a blend of our guts, what we want things to be, David's vision, and a little bit of data. We put everything in front of David four or five times a week, and we get his nuance. And as a team, um, we make the decisions, and, and really David is the ultimate decider. And we do it all day, every day. So we're eating from really 8 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night every day. But it's a fun thing to do, to be honest with you. I love it. That is Donald Moore, Chief Culinary Officer and Executive Vice President of the Cheesecake Factory. And unlike some chains that ship out bags of pre-made sauce and soups that the chefs just cut open and heat up, Donald says everything at the Cheesecake Factory is made from scratch every day. They butcher their own meat, and they make 75 salad dressings daily, which makes me regret not asking a follow-up question. How are there 75 dressings? I think that I know I don't 10. know 75 <laughs> I dressings. I don't either. Maybe this includes sauces. We're just going to have to use our imaginations. But this includes the Caesar dressing, on Bethany's favorite salad. First of all, great order. If I had to pick my cheesecake last meal, the Caesar salad would be in there as well. But, you know, I think that people look at Cheesecake Factory and go, well, we love it. That's a big corporation. And how much could they really be putting into caring about every little detail of the food or the ingredients? That Caesar salad's been on the menu since almost day one. And we are so focused on garlic because garlic has a germination and a heat and a sweetness that when it's right, it's perfect. And to make Caesar dressing, which we make, every single day in our restaurants fresh you have to use the right oil you have to blend it so it gets pudding like in consistency so it sticks to the lettuce we like the croutons to be coated in the dressing so we start with the cheese that's just grated the parmesan and romano cheese the croutons and the dressing in the bowl before the lettuce even goes so that it creates a sort of batter to coat the lettuce and then you don't have these dry bites of croutons and we want our caesar to be a little bit spicy and a little bit spicy comes from the garlic. So you're just like, wow, that's a little bit more interesting than just sort of a mayonnaise-based uh, Caesar dressing. So these are the things that our kitchen managers and front of the house managers have got to manage in the restaurants every day. When they taste the Caesar dressing, it's always good, but is there a little bit of lingering heat? And then we know we've nailed it. And here's the skinny on the mac and cheese. We actually went through about, this is not an exaggeration, about 15 different types of macaroni to get to the right size, the right noodle that the sauce got into the noodle we put four or five different types of cheese we make this white sauce that softly melts down and then we want the pasta to be a little bit overcooked 
So like a really good macaroni cheese. It's really soft, but not mushy, just past al dente. And then that's all cooked together. I grew up eating Stouffer's mac and cheese, which I love. You know, people, the two macaroni and cheeses I think have the dance off all the time are the Stouffer's mac and cheese and the Kraft Blue Box. And people love it no matter how sophisticated they are and what fine restaurants they eat in. There was something that happened with the Stouffer's mac and cheese where it burned on top, which we loved. And I was talking to one of our other chefs about that. So you had the macaroni and cheese and then you baked more cheese cheese on top but where it was just relaxed and slightly crispy where it still had the cheese and the nuttiness and then these buttery breadcrumbs on top for a little bit of texture and it's just really indulgent the cream is luxurious i I, my mouth is watering talking about it right now i love restaurant r&d i love learning about the research that goes into putting a dish on the menu because these guys have to keep up with culinary trends that are happening around the country and then they also have to innovate it's interesting because donald and david both love good food they love going out to eat at trendy restaurants but they have to create a menu that appeals to the average person i asked david about a dish that he created that he loved that totally bombed in the restaurant. I could fill up about 12 hours of content on that, but I'll I'll give you one. There's a restaurant that I love in New York City um, called Carbone. They had a dish on their menu called Chicken Massimo, and it's like this roasted chicken that was inspired by Massimo Butura, who's a chef from Modena that has one of the world's best restaurants, and he's an unbelievable humanitarian and somebody that gives back a lot. And I, I love this dish. So we created something like it, and um, we thought it was a home run. And everybody loves balsamic. Everybody loves chicken. We put spaghetti with it. And, we, and it fit in sort of the zone of things that we know people are going to respond well to. And nobody bought it. They, they just didn't, they didn't get it. The balsamic was too sophisticated. The syrup of the balsamic that we made maybe was too strong. When you cut into the chicken... This happens a lot when you make a great sauce and people are like, I taste the sauce in my pan and it tastes so good. But then I pour it over the protein and then I've cut the protein and then the protein starts to let out its liquid and then it waters down the sauce and it's not special. Those were some of the things that happened to that dish and it didn't sell and it crushed us because we thought it was one of those dishes that was going to go to the top of the menu and hopefully be on somebody's last meal list like a macaroni and cheese or, or a Caesar salad. And there's lots of stories like that. You kind of have to appeal to middle America because those are a lot of the people eating at chain restaurants. But then there's someone like you who obviously loves food. And, you know, I'm familiar with Carbone and you're eating at all these amazing restaurants. So, you know, how do you balance introducing people to new things that might not be in their palate yet, but then keeping it safe enough for people to want to order it? That's a fantastic question, uh, one that I think about a lot. And I think that, you know, because we have 250 slots to put items, we need to have something for everyone. So, for example, we buy a sushi-grade ahi tuna. It might not sell well in certain parts of the middle of the country because it's not as common of an ingredient and the familiarity is not there and the comfort's not there. But we need it in New York and L.A. and Boston and San Francisco. Not that people are more sophisticated, but that it's something that's very common. Or a burrata that we put on 10 years ago that people were like, what is burrata? Today, everybody knows what burrata is, but we were too far ahead and people didn't want a, a mozzarella that basically had cream in it. So I think that what we do is we say, okay, well, who's our core guest and the things that they love to indulge on and the jambalayas and the Alfredo pastas and the Caesar salads? 
We also have things on the menu that might not be big movers, but we need. So this is sort of an art and a science. It's what you believe you want to be to your guest and how patient are you willing to be. And you can't get your confidence crushed when you know it's going to be great and it just needs time. But we really, really try to be everything to everyone. And we spend a lot of time thinking about that. That if a family of four came in and they were from all over the country and they had different eating habits, can we take care of everybody? Sometimes getting someone to order something is as simple as the language used on the menu. A few years ago, we put a farmhouse burger on when the whole egg on top of a burger thing became so popular, probably a decade ago. And it just didn't sell. When we got feedback, you know, just from our staff about why it wasn't selling, the guests were like, we don't want pork belly. Now, if you've been in a city for a while, pork belly's been around for 20 years. But in some parts of the country, it was just new. A few years later, we came back with a bacon bacon burger. And instead of calling it pork belly, we called it braised bacon. It's the exact same thing. And that burger is our number one selling burger. So, in, yeah, in some parts it takes time. And sometimes it just takes shifting a word or two or the way you have a description or where it's placed in the menu that can change the sales from going from last to first. It might seem crazy to have 250 things on a menu to serve such huge portions, but Donald said that is the way that founder David wanted it to be. He wanted to be different. There's a really good piece of Fortune video, probably from five or six years ago, where David, at the end of the interview, and this has stuck with me ever since he saw it, he goes, you know, when I started this company in 1978, he goes, everybody told me I did everything wrong. The portions were too big. The menu was too big. And he goes, I think that's the exact reason why we've had this success. And he got advised by so many restaurateurs and people in the business and outside of the business that this is not the way to run a successful company. And I think that he loves that. He thrives on the fact that we're different, that we are going to have a bigger menu when most restaurant companies are making it smaller. And it's really hard to compete with what we're offering. Okay, now I really want to go to the Cheesecake Factory. I didn't know they made everything from scratch. I want to go in with new eyes now that I know that they have 75 salad dressings that I could try. But I pulled up the menu to see what I would order. And I'm screwed. Like, it takes me forever anyway to decide on a menu. I will be in that booth for five years. I'm 100% with you. I've been a couple times, two or three times, kind of like yourself. and it, But it's been a long time. And what I remember is sifting through this tome this giant book and going, how, how, I know, how do you pick one? I'm going to take a Xanax. I'm going to go to the Cheesecake <laughs> Factory. I'm going to have a good time. And when we come back, Bethany needs your help. There's an item of Cheesecake Factory memorabilia that she's been looking for for years and she's willing to buy it off of you. Um, I read about a diner that you really love in Glendale, mm-hmm. and I was so charmed by it, and I want to go so badly. Will you talk about Foxy's and what makes it so special? So Foxy's is this really sweet old diner in Glendale, which is where I grew up, and it's like you like stepped out of L.A. It feels like you're in the a cabin in the woods somewhere. It's this, got this like cool wooden A-frame, and the food is, again, like kind of... It's a bit subpar. Um, It's not horrible, but it's nothing like, you know, like take my breath away. But it's just sort of like the ambiance and the environment and feeling like you're in 
like I said, sort of a cabin in the woods, but you're literally like in the center of Glendale across the street from the Americano, which is like the most, you know, like huge, massive outdoor shopping mall, which is where my favorite Cheesecake Factory actually resides. (laughs) I love diners, too. It's just like classic American stuff, you know? Yeah, and the thing that I was most excited about was that there's a toaster on every table. Yes, yes, yes. I can't believe it. Well, okay, I hate to break it to you, it's not every table, but all the booths, all of the booths along the walls have toasters. So ideally when you go, you want to get a booth so that you can have a toaster. However, the issue with the toaster is that they're pretty crappy toasters, so it's like it doesn't have that spring up. So you literally look through Foxy's and you'll see people like at their tables like sticking their fork into the toaster like trying to get it out (laughs) and I'm always like somebody's gonna get electrocuted at Foxy's and then it's gonna get shut down and it's gonna be so I'm always kind of in there like whenever I'm like near someone that's using I'm like don't use your fork in the toaster (laughs) ma'am please like yeah (laughs) that's funny though but I like that because I feel like in our country there's so much monitoring and there's signs everywhere and you know you go on a hike and it's like don't get too close to the edge and when you go abroad nobody cares what you do so I feel like Foxy's is a little slice of maybe Europe where you're on your own if you're dumb enough to stick your fork in you deserve to die here today (laughs) doing what you love which is Eating toast. Toasting. Yeah. One time, Bethany was at the Cheesecake Factory in Glendale, the one across the street from Foxy's, when she saw something that she has been lusting after ever since. This waitress came up and she was wearing this white sweatshirt that said the Cheesecake Factory on it in white. So it was like this monochromatic, like white on white Cheesecake Factory sweatshirt. And I have been looking for this sweatshirt. For years, and I was just at the this same Cheesecake Factory recently, saw another woman in it and was like, where do I buy that sweatshirt? And she was like, oh, you know, we used to sell them, but we don't have them anymore. So if anyone is listening to this and has access to the white monochromatic Cheesecake Factory sweatshirt, please send me a link. I'll give you my P.O. box. You can mail it to me. <laughs> I need this sweatshirt. You listening, people? Send it to 1234 Cheesecake Avenue. <laughs> my home, Bethany, my home California. Address. That is my her address. address. Yes. Okay, we got to get it for you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. All right. And that was Bethany Cosentino's last meal. Best Coast has a new album out now. It is so, so, so good. Uh, I really enjoyed pulling all the music for this episode. It's called Always Tomorrow. And if you want to be nice and give your money straight to artists, buy the record. Go to bestcoast.net. Thanks to Donald Moore, Chief Culinary Officer and Executive VP of the Cheesecake Factory. He says most of their locations are still open for delivery and pickup. Treat yourself to some mac and cheese and a super garlicky Caesar salad. Oh, and the menu right now is shorter, so it's easier to decide what you're going to get. Hey, why don't you just uh, give us a five-star review? I mean, I'm not too proud to ask for that. Leave us a review. It helps get the podcast out to more people. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me, recorded with Aaron Mason, and as usual, original theme music by Prom Queen. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal.
All right, Rach, ready when you are. Okay, everybody, I'm ready. I'm hungry too, even though I ate three carrots slab. I, I was I eat those carrots just so I could dip them in blue cheese dressing. That's why I ate them because I was I knew I had that dressing. Vegetables are a vehicle for dips. Ugh. I can't be trusted with a dip, though. I was dipping my fingers in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. I, I, I mm. hear what you're saying. I'm finally going to put it down on paper that my favorite, one of my favorite combos of all time is broccoli and cheese. Put it down on paper. Any 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 combo. It's fine. Uh, you want to make a casserole? You want to dump some cheese whiz on some steamed whatever. broccoli? Whatever. I don't know if there was like a commercial when we were kids, but- Maybe it wasn't a commercial where they were like pouring Velveeta on broccoli. Yes. And I would just ask for it constantly and we ne- I've never had it. And I was just like, Ugh. damn. We would put um, Kraft green canned Parmesan on our broccoli. Oh, really? Yeah. That sounds all right. Sophisticated. Uh-huh. And margarine. <laughs> the 80s after all. Country crock. Let's go. Action. You're not supposed to say action yourself. <laughs> well, I just said. <laughs> so what are, who's making the rolls? Good job.